Today's teaching text is found in Ephesians 3, verses 10 through 12, and it is on page 1080 in your Shed Bible. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ellery. And congrats in advance to all the seniors who are going to be graduating. Um, and I don't know if they're in the room, but some parents are in the room. So congrats to you also. Uh, yeah, I figured that, that's appropriate for um, shepherding your kids to this point. Oftentimes the, uh, the spotlight is on the student, but also there has been a formation in you as well. So bless God for what you have lent to your students as they've grown up. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Ashley Island. I'm one of our pastors here. It's a joy to be with you this morning and to you joining online. Good morning, grace and peace to you also. Um, recently, Delwyn, my husband, who's our worship pastor here, Delwyn and I, uh, we joined another couple for birthday celebration. As Kyle said, it's celebration season. There's birthdays in the mix also. And we didn't know where we were going. It was one of our friend's birthdays, and we just said, you know what, we trust you. Whatever you want to do for your birthday, we're in. Except, like, up until the moment where we're supposed to leave almost. It's very soon, the point at which we're supposed to leave. We don't have details. Dylan was like, where are we? Are we going to eat? Is there food involved? And, of course, I'm worried about, like, what do I need to wear? So I like text our friend and I'm like, hey, could you, could you let us know maybe what we're doing and could you tell us what we're wearing? And we got a text message back that said, dress in something you're comfortable crawling around in. Min minimal crawling, but dress like you're going to a poker game, but it's a poker game at the White House. Needless to say, we were confused, but we endured. We got dressed, kind of like trying to follow the prompt. We met our friends, and eventually the mystery was a mystery no more. We had arrived at an escape room. The theme, poker night at the president's bunker. So there you go. The four of us had 60 minutes to find a set of codes that would save the world from destruction. And gosh, was it mayhem. We were rattling around in drawers, ransacking shelves, frantically scanning maps on the walls and putting literal puzzle pieces together, attempting to reveal what was hidden around the room in hopes of discovering the plan that would save us all. And I wonder this morning, Mars, if you've ever felt a little bit like this. Like your life is one big escape room. And you're just doing your best to make sense of the plan with the time that you have left. I wonder if you've ever felt a little bit like this. Perhaps it's like you're running around trying to unlock a box that holds the future 
of your business, or perhaps your family planning. Maybe you're trying desperately to crack the code to relieve the pressure that's on your marriage, your mental health, your money. For some of us, there seems to be no good reason for the season that you're in at all, and it just feels like chaos, like you're holding the pieces of a puzzle that make no sense, and if you don't figure it out in time, you feel like something is going to self-destruct. If we were to zoom out for your own life and look at the headlines, they themselves can be in their own realities that we're longing to escape. Another shooting on the southeast side of town, another mass shooting in Texas. If it's not certain issues themselves, then it's the division over those issues. What in the world is the plan? We're in a series called Alive in Christ, and we're working our way through the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter three now. And Paul is relieving some tension for us. He gives us a plan. He's specifically addressing the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers, and he lays out both a mystery that was revealed to him and the plan by which God intends for this mystery to be made known. We don't have to talk too much about what that mystery was because if you were here with us last week, Troy did a really good job of highlighting that mystery that Paul addresses in the second half of chapter two. The mystery was that Jews and Gentiles were now drawn close in proximity, not just to God, but to each other. This was significant because one might say that the sin of those living in the ancient world was the sin of contempt do we know anything about contempt in 2023? Gentiles were thought of as useless and worthless in the sight of God, but in Christ. Barriers had been destroyed between them, and they now had been drawn together to be made into something new, a holy dwelling place for God, God's self. So here Paul is, and he's continuing to expound upon this mystery in a spirit of what we now know of as worship and prayer. And he still hasn't gotten practical yet. Remember, it takes Paul a long time to tell us what we ought to be doing. He's still not telling us. As a matter of fact, Paul, like many of your favorite, perhaps in-house verbal processors who tend to ramble, don't look at them. He goes on a bit of a detour here. He goes on a bit of a tangent. Look at 3 verse 1. He starts, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, am dash. He kind of trails off. It just stops. He just kind of stops. And verses 2 to 13 seem almost parenthetical because look what happens. In verse 14, it seems like he picks back up from what he meant to say, starting back in verse 1. He says, for this reason, <laughs> he starts over, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And if you were to look ahead to verses 14 through 21, you may easily recognize them because they're arguably the most off 
quoted verses in Ephesians chapter 3, perhaps one of the most beautiful prayers and benedictions in all of scripture, one could say. And we'll get there. But verses 2 through 13 are not throwaways. They tell us something important that I don't want us to miss about the mystery of God, which Paul makes clear again in verse 6. He said this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. If we've ever felt stuck, church, when it comes to this mystery, the mystery of our togetherness that he emphasizes three times, that we're all part of one body, that we share as co-heirs in the promise of Christ. If we've ever felt stuck, like we're in an escape room with time running out, like we've hit a dead end with no clue where to turn next when it comes to our togetherness, how to include those who've been excluded, how to work out our shared promise, the plan is hidden right here in plain sight. Was it all dependent on one piece of legislation? No. Was it dependent on canceling a celebrity on Twitter? No. Was it all going to hang on a yard sign or social media post? No. Ellery read it for us. Did we catch it? Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration, if you're an underliner, underline administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now... Now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This word, administration in the Greek, oikonomia, sounds a lot like what? Economy, the careful management, the stewardship. What, with Christ as the central character, the plan of the stewardship of the mystery of our togetherness is the church. This might be too simple, but let's not underestimate how swayed and dismayed some of us have been by the church. Some have been spiritually manipulated. Others have felt lonely and unseen. Yet others are watching how Christians have rubber-stamped their politics, from Christian nationalism to calls for justice without any grace or mercy, with the name of Christ in ways that make opinions into idols. Some might think, if that's the plan, if that's the plan, if the church is the plan, then we're in trouble. Some of you might be like Star-Lord, from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Y'all, I wish some of us would praise Jesus like that. 
like we would, like we would Star-Lord, where he says, I like your plan, except it stinks. He says another word, except it stinks. So let me do the plan and it might be really good. I think some of us have tried to formulate other plans whether plans of individual apathy, plans of avoidance, plans of just meticulous routine checking, hoping that that somehow will do the trick. Because we're reminded in Christ here, in verses 2 through 13, this is why we can't skip 2 through 13. Because we're reminded that not only is the plan ours to steward as the church but it's actually a really good plan. It's a good one. In 2 through 13, Paul tells us why. He tells us why. So this morning, if you have been discouraged by the church that we now know is the plan, ours to steward this incredible mystery of God, this morning's for you. The first reason why this is a good plan is the power behind the people to whom it's entrusted. Um, we remember who Paul used to be, right? In Galatians 1, Paul himself writes how intensely he persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He actively took part and was complicit in trying to destroy the church, to put an end to it. This is part of the rap sheet of the guy entrusted with this mystery. In our present day, I think if someone had dug up Paul's history, social media would have him on a silver platter. They'd skewer him. We'd skewer him. But Paul knows the drastic nature of his own salvation. Look at verse 8. He said, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. And he said it wasn't given to him because of anything that he had done on his own. He says in the verse before, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of, say these two words with me, his power. His power. Mars Hill, we can trust God's plan through the church, not because of the people like Paul to whom it's entrusted, and not merely looking at our external circumstances, because if we look down to verse 13, Paul tells them that he has suffered. He is suffering on their behalf. If we simply stopped at the people and the circumstances which people navigate through, we'd all have a reason to worry. But thanks be to God, we can trust God's plan through the church as a good plan because the people to whom it's entrusted are covered by the active and the present working of God's power. There's no failure in the church that God is surprised by, and there's no shortcoming strong enough to overwhelm his grace. That's good news this morning. So we have to know that there's a power beyond just the people. I don't know about you, but for an imperfect person whose shortcomings are great, who's prone to look at just what's going wrong, 
who's acquainted presently in a season that feels like suffering, that's the grace that makes the plan good. We can take heart. But it's not just God's power. It's the perspective from which the plan is observed. One part of the escape room experience that kept throwing me for a loop when we were in that room, it was really small, by the way, were these two cameras on the ceiling. And supposedly, there was someone on the other side of these two cameras watching us. Okay, a little creepy. But the whole point was, if we ever got into trouble and we needed to somehow get out, we were supposed to wave at the camera and the person would talk to us, the person could see us, and they had been tracing and tracking our progress along the way as we made our way toward our goal. And I wonder how often we forget that the work of the church isn't simply being observed by us. The work of the church isn't simply there to be dissected in such a way that our individual preferences might be satisfied. The musical stylings, the length or tone of the sermon, how loud it is in here, how dim the lights are. That's not why the church exists. As a matter of fact, God's plan through the church wasn't ever only for our time or even just the physical realm here on earth. Is anyone else rocked by these couple of verses? Join me in verse 10, and I'm going to read it slowly. Just think about this. His intent was that now, through the church, we've read this part already, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The rulers and the authorities of the spiritual realm, the powers and principalities, both good and evil, that we cannot see, are watching. They're watching the church to see how God's plan unfolds. This blew my mind. I, for maybe, like, confession, maybe for the first time, I've read these verses before. And there was something about sitting right here in verse 10 that widened and expanded something for me. Tony Meriden and Kent Hughes say this, the evil forces have already been defeated at the cross. We know that. The existence of the church is announcing that their rule is coming to an end once and for all. There is more going on than meets the eye. If you are part of the church then you are part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to spiritual rulers and authorities. We have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. Wow. 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 This puts, I don't know about you, but this puts a different gravitas 
to how I personally and individually show up as part of our togetherness. This puts a different weight to it. For those of you who don't regularly come to Mars Hill Grand Rapids, we celebrate two years this weekend of meeting as Mars Hill Grand Rapids. And I feel like the heavenly spiritual authorities have been watching how that community has been being formed week in and week out. Here at Granville, when we talk about serving and we ask you to show up and serve part of our body. It's not because we're just trying to fill gaps. There are rulers and authorities watching the plan unfold right here in our very midst in the local community. Remember that glue assessment that we took long time ago where you checked a few boxes and took a survey? The, the interest groups that Granville alone is most interested in serving church, children, youth, and you're interested in race and diversity. We should be leading the way as a community, not just for one another, not just coming against forces that we can see, but the ones that we can't, working out God's mystery here, this side of heaven. Our togetherness tells the cosmos of the mystery that's alive in Christ, and it foreshadows the end once and for all of evil. So let your perspective expand. The plan is good. Finally, it's good because of the posture with which God's people may approach God. Um, way back long, long time ago in the 1900s, um, when I was a wee child, I was taught that you get good grades in school. That's what was expected. So um, then as we entered into the 21st century, into the 2000s, there was a class that I took in college. My first major was business. I had no business majoring in business, let me tell you. <laughs> I tried, y'all. One of my classes was accounting, and I took accounting, and it wasn't going great. So I knew I needed a tutor, so I got someone who was getting all A's in accounting to come tutor me in business accounting. Now, I know how to keep a budget. Like, this, this is like the hard stuff, like the hard accounting stuff. And y'all, I took the final, and I ended up failing it. <laughs> And do you know, when I went home for break that next semester, I distinctly remember having to tell my dad that I had failed accounting. And I remember knocking on the door to their bedroom, opening up the door, and the feeling that I got in the pit of my stomach was kind of like that, that feeling you get on a roller coaster when it just drops from under you. Like, I was real nervous. And I walk in, my dad's sitting in the bed watching TV, and I was like, Okay. Deep breaths, hyperventilating a little bit. Daddy, I just would like to inform you really quick that I failed accounting in school at the university that you have sent me to. And I remember my dad looked at me, and I was expecting him to be so, so upset. And I just distinctly remember he almost didn't react at all. He looked at me, and he was like, well then baby, business isn't your thing. Let's find what your thing is. And the tenderness and the grace with which he met me is a moment in my life that I will never forget. Now think about how you approach God. 
particularly when it comes to prayer? What are the words that you'd use to describe your posture? Maybe think of, especially when you've messed up and when there's something hard that you're going through. Do any of these words resonate with how you approach God? Cautious, hesitant, nonchalant, apathetic, tentative, withholding, shy, timid. In verse 12, Paul reminds his readers of the posture that they may take when approaching their dad. He tells them they don't have to be cautious and hesitant. On the contrary, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Some translations use the word boldness. It means without hesitation, no shame there. We may approach God openly as with a family member. If we trust that God's power is actively working at all times through the church, that God is constantly giving the gift of grace through God's people that he has called together to administer, to steward the plan of his great mystery, why would we ever approach God any other way than with freedom and confidence, Mars Hill? N.T. Wright says this about prayer, which is is one way, is primary vehicle through which we approach God. N.T. Wright says this. He starts, the Western church has perhaps allowed itself to be lulled into thinking that prayer and action are the opposite ends of the scale of Christian activity. On the contrary, and this is the part that you'll see, prayer brings together love and power the relation of love that grows up between God and the person who prays and the flowing of power from God to and especially through that person. And I'm going to share with you a couple observations that I've seen about right here in this room. I think it's interesting that week in and week out when we say, hey, when you come to receive from the table, we have our prayer team in the back. And I watch and our pastors talk about how Few people take advantage of that opportunity to have their burdens borne with someone else, another sibling in Christ. Just recently at Grand Rapids, we're noticing people starting to not just rely on the prayer team, but to pray for and over one another. I'm like, why would we not access the power that is available to us as the cosmos watches to see how we as the church are living out this great mystery? Why would we not approach God with freedom and confidence? I wonder if some of us want to trust God more, but we are unsure. Unsure of what others will think if we show our need. Perhaps we were taught growing up that you didn't tell anyone what you needed. You figured it out on your own. Perhaps we're afraid of what others might think if we show ourselves publicly making the long walk back to be prayed over by someone. 
Maybe that's new to us, and that's okay, but what I want us to understand is that even if you're praying individually with that freedom and confidence, when we are together, our praise, our prayers, our requests and petitions aren't just for us. They're for the world watching us, and they're for the realm unseen that's watching too. Might this morning we choose to take a step toward freedom and confidence, regardless of what we feel it costs us. Discomfort, a side eye, a shaky feeling, not knowing what to say. Might we take a new step forward in asking for prayer, asking to pray with someone? I think it's so interesting that before Paul tells the church what to do, In chapters 4 to 6, he stops in 14 through 19, and he prays. And so before we go to the table, I have one quick story, and then I want us to pray before we go to the table. This past weekend was our first ever Mars Hill Bible Church Women's Retreat. And it was, if I can just say, should we have another one next year? I cannot tell you how big of a gift and a blessing these couple of days were. For me personally, I want to show you one picture. This, this is, these are your sisters. And before I had to get on a plane, I wasn't expecting to have to get on a plane, but a relative passed away. And the funeral was the same weekend as a retreat, so I had to make a decision. And I decided to cut my time at the retreat short and go. And I told this group of 50 plus women, Hey, I wish I could be with you longer, but I have to go, and I have to go be with my family to mourn this loss. And there was one woman who stood up, and she said, before you go, may we pray over you. I cannot tell you, it is no exaggeration, that the prayers prayed in that moment, that thank you, Dan, for capturing this. Dan was our tech um, support at the conference. Their prayers strengthened me for the days that were to come. There was something about knowing that whatever was coming against me, forces seen and unseen in that moment, that I had a family. We talked about this last week. I had a family, a group of people that we were being built up into something together to lay their hands on me and pray for me. Church, what a gift. And it wasn't just me. Other women were prayed over as well. And I'm sure it took a risk. I'm sure it took some sort of brave yes to say, I, I need you. This is what I want us to become. This is the picture I see when I see both out in the gray chairs and perhaps some of you online, the burdens that you're bearing. We get to be the example as the church of God's great mystery of forming us together in Christ. And one of those ways is through prayer. And so I want to just pray and talk through what Paul says in his prayer in 14 through 19. And as I say these things, I want you to look at these words. If you feel like this is a part, is you as part of our body of Christ could use 
some strengthening, some reinforcement through prayer in this, in this way, I just want you to stand. We also have Brian there in the back. If you don't feel like standing, you just feel like walking back to Brian. Also feel free to pray over each other if you came with someone that you know or you feel led to pray for someone. There's freedom here, church. But Paul goes through this beautiful prayer, and here are the things he prays over the church. Again, the church, not individuals. We use it as an individual prayer a lot of times, but he's praying over the church. He said, pray that you'd be strengthened with power through his spirit so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays that they would be rooted and established in love. You know that where you're rooted, that limits what you grasp. And so he prays that they would have the power to grasp the width, length, height, and the depth, the limitless nature of the love of Christ. And finally, he says, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you wouldn't just know it here, but that you would know it here in the very fabric of your heart and in your life. These are the things that he prays over the church. So before we go to the table, before we eat together, another expression of our togetherness is how we dine at Christ's table. If you would like to be prayed over for strength, to be rooted and established in love in a different way, that you would grasp the limitless nature of God's love for you, or that you would know God's love in a different way, would you just stand? Would you just stand right where you are and we'll pray over you before we eat together? Amen. 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 I see you. Amen. Okay. Hey, Paul. Barb, yeah. Bill. Brothers and sisters, as the church, would you extend your hand toward someone who's standing as I pray? And if you came with someone, if you're okay with touch, you can ask, you can lay hands on them as well, if you know anyone standing here. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your really good plan that you designed to carry out the mystery of our togetherness, our unity, our proximity. Thank you that that plan was the church. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, the same power that Paul claimed had given him a certain grace to carry this mystery forward, that that same power would strengthen each person standing for the places in their lives where they feel they are weak, where they can bear no more, where they feel like giving up, God, would your spirit empower them? God, I pray that they would be rooted and established firmly firmly without moving in your love that no other thing would be tempting soil to be placed Lord no other place but your love would you remind them in tangible ways of your love today and God would they grasp it would they hold on tightly to it would they hold on to nothing else as tightly would they know your love would it be the most tangible and important thing in their lives. May they lean on it, Lord. And God, may it seep 
through their knowledge. May they not just know it, but may they live it. May they experience it. Would you empower them to go forth in your love, God, from this place, knowing that together as the church, we are your witnesses, God. Lord, we praise you for this plan. We pray for increased trust in your plan as the church. And God, we see what your scripture says, that all of this is for your glory. So we give glory to you now. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we come to the table together now. We come and we eat. And I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you join me in prayer now? How right and a good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you joining our voices with angels and archangels from their perspective and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would rest on us and nourish us, that we might be reminded of our place in this great mystery, Lord. Would you wake us up? Would you make us alive as the church? Remind us of what's at stake. Remind us of the joy of being able to reflect not just to those we can see, but to powers and rulers and authorities that we can't see. Your mystery, your goodness, your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, in this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim, you show your stewardship. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So now we proclaim with our voices the mystery this mystery of our faith. Perhaps it's something that we don't understand, but it is shared with brothers and sisters, all who have been brought together to be built up as a house for God. And that mystery is this. Would you say it with me now? That Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. All is ready. Brian is still back there available to pray with you. 
If you're joining us for the first time, we have gluten-free elements in the center aisles available for you to receive whenever you're ready. We also have pieces of paper and candles if that's another way you'd like to pray. Every Tuesday, our staff takes your prayers and we distribute them. We pray for you throughout the week and it's an honor to be able to do so. So Mars Hill Church, God's plan. Receive who you are, the body of Christ.